Today's scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 23. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been looking forward to this morning because um, we're embarking on this new uh, sermon series entitled Ecclesia. And we're going to delve into the book of Ephesians to think about what it means to be church. 
And so this morning, we have the great privilege of having Alita Friesen uh, open up the series for us. And Alita uh, comes from the good old state of Texas. And um, now she lives here in Vancouver with her husband, Ryan, and they have four young children. And Alita is a, a, a writer, an author, a teacher, and she's part of the, the teaching team at The Way Church. And one of the passions that she has is to make the Word of God accessible and understandable and relatable for all people. And I think that's such a wonderful uh, passion to have. And so when uh, Daryl and I were having this conversation about this whole sermon series, and I asked him, uh, who he would recommend for the series, you know, without hesitation, Daryl mentioned Alita Friesen. And so um, thank you, Alita, for making time to be with us, to open up God's word for us. Well, good morning, First Baptist Church family. My name is Alita Friesen, as it was just mentioned, and I am on the teaching team at The Way Church here in Vancouver, and it is such an honor and a joy and a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. And uh, just um, a few other tidbits about myself. I love um, opening God's Word, but my primary and most important ministry at this point in my life is being wife and mom to four children. And so I brought a picture just so you could get to know me a little more. And uh, hopefully you're seeing right now my myself and my husband, Ryan, and our four young kids. They range in ages from 15 all the way down to six. And we have three boys and a little girl. And as you can imagine, life with four kids is full and fun and busy and a little bit crazy, a little bit loud. And as you could probably imagine as well, just with a pandemic and in a small house, we've had to be especially creative with keeping our kids entertained. So all that to say, I am thrilled to be with you this morning and to kick off your series in the book of Ephesians. What an honor. And so today, as you've just heard it read, we are going to be sitting in chapter one of Ephesians. But before we actually get to uh, the text, what I would love for us to do is actually just go through a little bit of the background before we um, actually get into Ephesians, because I think it'll help really set you up for this series that you're going to be going through. So just a few things to note as you read this book and as you study it over the next uh, little while together. Ephesians is a letter and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote it while he was in Rome in jail. And he was in jail for preaching the gospel. And many scholars believe that this is something called a circulatory letter. So what this means is that it was written by Paul, and it was intended to go to Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, yes, but then it was also intended to be circulated around to churches in the area surrounding Ephesus. So in other words, Paul wrote it, it went to Ephesus, and then it got passed around from one church to another to another. And here's why I love that. I was thinking about this this week. Because Paul's letter, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, did make it to Ephesus, and it did circulate around to the churches around. And if you could think of it like this, it's kind of kept on circulating its way around and around, and it has landed here with us today. It's just circulated its way right to us, if I could say it that way. So here we are, 2,000 years later, with Paul's letter. And here's what I think you're going to find over this next little while as you study together as a church. I think you're going to find how relevant this book, this letter remains for us today in the 21st century. 
So to give you a bit of a roadmap for how we're going to approach an entire chapter of this letter together today, because chapter one of Ephesians is so good. It is so meaty. And honestly, we could probably spend like a month just in this one chapter. But for the sake of time and um, just for our time together today, here's what we're going to do, our roadmap for today. We are going to briefly touch on the first half of chapter one. And then we're really going to spend the bulk of our time in Paul's prayer at the second half of this chapter. So briefly uh, spend some time in the first half of chapter one, and then the majority of our time together is going to be in the second half of chapter one. So before we get there, would you pray with me? Father, we do come before you this morning, and we ask you to be our teacher. Holy Spirit, we invite you to illuminate truth to us. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to understanding this morning? And Father, I pray that the words out of this mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be so pleasing in your sight. In Jesus's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I showed you a picture of my family, and my daughter is six, and she's at that age right now where she uh, doesn't like long car rides. I don't know if anybody else has young kids or grandkids who just don't like long car rides. And by long, I mean anything over 15 minutes. We don't have a wide, uh, you know, she doesn't have very much tolerance for long car rides right now. And so not long ago, we were driving from our house in Langley to Vancouver. And, you know, that can be anywhere from 40 minutes or longer, depending on traffic. So we were about I don't know, right, right around 45 minutes in our car. And from the back of the car, she finally just groaned at us and went, oh, can we just go back to Canada now? And we kind of laughed and we said, honey, we are in Canada still. It's, that's a big thing to explain to a six-year-old, you know, township and then a city and then a province and a country. That's just too much. So we, we just said, honey, we, we're still in Canada. And she kind of chuckled and she said, oh, well, I just forgot. I always forget that we're in Canada. And here's why I share that story. I was thinking about that this week because Paul begins his letter to the church in Ephesus by reminding the people of their true location. Paul does not want them and he doesn't want us to have any kind of confusion over where we're located. He doesn't want us to forget where we are. So I actually just want to read beginning in verse 3 this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So over and over again in this letter, 36 times in fact, we're going to see Paul use some variation of that term, in Christ or in him. And if you're the kind of person actually that likes to highlight or write in your Bible, I would actually encourage you just this next week to, to read the book of Ephesians and just to go through and underline or take note of how often Paul uses it, not just in chapter one, but in the whole book. Because Paul is reminding them of something very important, reminding us of something very important, of their true location. Paul is reminding them that yes, they are physically in Ephesus, but spiritually in Christ. Paul himself was physically in jail in Rome, but he was really in Christ. That was his true location. You and I are physically in Vancouver or in the lower mainland in Canada, but really 
For those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, where are we really located? We are located in Christ. And I think that this speaks not just to our location, but much more also to our identity. And because of our identity in Christ, we also have some spiritual blessings, Paul tells us. Paul names them in verses 3 through 14. I mean, he just kind of like hits hard on these awesome blessings that we have. He says that we have been chosen in verse 4. We have been predestined to adoption. We've been redeemed and forgiven. We have been given insight in verse 9. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we have an inheritance in verse 14. This is what we have been blessed with because of our identity in Christ. And when we know where we are located and what our identity really is, everything changes. Everything pivots on who we are in Christ. As my friend Daryl Johnson and your uh, former pastor used to say about these verses, location, location, location. And when we know our location, whose we are, not just that we are in Vancouver in the year 2021, not just that we are in the middle of a pandemic, not just that for some of us we are in the middle of maybe a financial crisis, or for some of us in the middle of some awkward family stuff or some tough health situations. When we know our true location, we are able to see all of that stuff through the lens of our identity in Christ. One of my favorite songs is the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And this is how that song goes. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our identity and our location in Christ gives us a new perspective. And it's then that the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Is it still tough? Is it still hard? Absolutely, yes. But when we know where we are really located, it changes our perspective of that stuff. Those things no longer have a hold on us anymore. And so Paul reminds us in this first half of chapter one where our true location is and our true identity. And we are, you and I are in Christ. And so in light of this identity, now Paul is going to go on to pray in the second half of chapter one. And as I told you before, this is where we're going to sit this morning. So I want to read beginning in verse 18, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. And here is what it says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul prays something very interesting. I wonder if you noticed it at the beginning. He prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened. And he then goes on to pray that we would know some things. And we're going to talk about those things in just a moment. But I want to I just for a second sit on this phrase that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. It's really interesting because for Paul's audience, um, they wouldn't have heard this the way that you and I probably heard this. Because they would have understood that the heart was not just the seat of emotions, but it was the seat of intellect. 
So if you and I were to, to translate this from the original Greek language, it would read something like this. I pray that the eyes of your mind would be enlightened. In other words, Paul was not praying here just that our emotions would get all stirred up. He was praying that the church in Ephesus, and therefore us, that we would not just know God with our hearts, but also with our minds. We can intelligently love God. I, don't, I hope that that lands for somebody this morning. That yes, God wants to engage our hearts. Yes, absolutely. He wants us to live by faith, but he also wants to engage our minds. And we need to learn to exercise our intellect and not just move on our emotions. I pray this all the time, or I find myself praying it all the time. Lord, I, lo- I want to love you, not just with my heart, but with my mind. So when Paul is praying here that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, what he is praying is that we would be made aware with full intelligence the benefits of knowing God, that we're not just going to walk into it blindly. So he goes on in verses 18 and 19, as we just read, to name some of these benefits. And the first benefit Paul names, he names three of them. The first one he prays is that they would know the hope of God's call, that they would know the hope of God's call. So as I just mentioned, my daughter turned six recently. And listen, she's six. And so she's just at that age where everything she does is cute and I can turn everything she does into a story. So I'm going to use another story about her right now. But she often uh, will pray things right now um, like, I hope I get to see my brother on the playground at school. Or I hope that we get to have cake for breakfast. Or, you know, I hope that we'll get a dog. She'll, she'll just say these things. That's how she prays. These are not things that she's sure she's going to get, but man, she is really, really hoping for them. She's really wishing for them. But even as adults, I think that some of us do this. I know that I'm guilty of doing it sometimes. We might say things like, man, I hope I get a raise, or, or I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that I think culturally, we have grown accustomed to a watered-down version of what hope actually means. Because in the biblical sense, hope isn't just this unsure, far-off wish. In the biblical sense, hope is an expectation. Uh, The Greek word for hope that's used here is the word elpis. And it's a word that means an expectation of what is sure or certain. I love that. I'm going to say that again. It's a word that means an expectation of what is sure or certain. When I was in high school, uh, my music teacher at the time, one of my music teachers, uh, had a baby. And after some testing, they found out that her uh, daughter, her newborn daughter, was born with a smooth brain. And um, a child that's born with a smooth brain usually has a life expectancy from anywhere between two and 10 years old. And so uh, she passed away at two years old. And I went to the funeral. And um, of course, it was sad and all the things that you would imagine that it would be. But here's what I remember most about that day. I remember going and seeing my teacher and her husband at the end come up onto the stage. And they were full of grief, tissues in hand, of course. But they were also full of hope. And they wanted everyone there to know it. They were able to smile through their tears. And I remember them firmly telling everyone in the room that day, that they knew, that they were sure, they were certain that this was not the end of their story. That because of Jesus Christ, they knew that they would see their daughter again. They didn't wish it. 
They expected it. They expected it. And so they grieved with hope. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I went on to see my music teacher years later, smiling. She went on to have more kids. And I've never seen hope illustrated in a more profound way than through their lives. And not just on the day of the funeral, but in the years after and the way that they lived their life. Because they were heartbroken, but they were not beaten. They knew that her story, their daughter's story was not over. They knew that death had not won. Death had not won their daughter's life and it hadn't stolen their life left on earth either. They still had life left to live here and a message of hope to carry to other people and other families. And this is what I want to suggest Paul is talking about. This is the kind of hope that Paul is praying our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to. That we would not only have hope in an eternal reality, which of course, of course we do, but that because of Jesus, we can live in light of that reality now, here on this earth, even in the middle of hard and heartbreaking circumstances. We can easily be thrown off by the circumstances of life. Just look at the last couple of years, year and a half of this pandemic. We can feel afraid and discouraged and helpless and like just throwing in the towel some days. But here's the question that I have for us today. What would happen if we remembered on a daily basis and in all situations where we were truly located? We are right now in Christ. Again, as Daryl said, location, location, location. It is not just that we will eventually be located with him, but that we are located with him right now. And because we are located with him now, he has called us to hope. He has called us to live with an expectation of what is sure and certain. So that's the first thing Paul prays. We would know it, that we would know this hope and that we would live it. So the second benefit Paul prays here in these verses is that they would know the riches of his inheritance. That's in verse 18. The riches of his inheritance. So uh, living in the lower mainland, um, as I'm sure most of us do, we know it is very expensive to live here. Um, gas, housing, groceries, pretty much everything is pretty expensive here. In fact, according to one research firm in the year 2020, Vancouver was rated as the second most expensive city in the world. If you want to know who we lost to, it was Hong Kong. Hong Kong was na named the, the first most expensive city. But Vancouver is the most expensive city to live in in North America and the Western Hemisphere. I don't know if that makes you feel happy <laughs> right now, <laughs> if you feel good about that data or not. But the point I'm trying to make is that for many of us, inheritance is just not on the radar, right? We're just trying to, you know, buy our gas and, 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 and pay for our milk and put food on the tables for our families. So imagine with me, if you will, um, and this is kind of a fun question, I think, to ask. How would we live our lives if we knew that we had access to unlimited wealth? Because you see, this is what Paul is, is praying that the church in Ephesus would know. And he's not talking about cash. He's not talking about money. He's praying that they would know they have an inheritance. To, to throw in another Pastor Daryl quote, he likes to say of these verses that we are richer than we think. I love that. We are richer than we think in Christ Jesus. Because here's what Paul is saying to us. We are heirs. 
If you are in Christ, you too are an heir. You are, I am, we are together. So what does this mean? I found this quote and I think it helps to um, explain the idea of, of inheritance in the biblical sense. This is from the Desiring God website and this is what it says. It says, nothing that could be given to us and nothing that could be taken from us compares with all that waits for us. Let me say it again. Nothing that could be given to us and nothing that could be taken from us compares with all that waits for us. What if we lived like it? As though we knew we were heirs to a rich inheritance that no stock market could affect, no real estate market could alter. How would it change the way that we actually lived our day-to-day lives? Would we stop you know, white knuckling our things? Would we share more? Would we, would we use our time more wisely and be more careful about the way we spent it? Would we worry less? Change the way we handle money, perhaps? Knowing our true location, that we are in Christ Jesus, enables us to live remembering that we are heirs to the King. Not a King, the King. The King. So far, so, so far, Paul has prayed that our eyes would, would be open to, first of all, know the hope of God's call, and then that we would know we have an inheritance. And here's the third thing that Paul prays we would know, that we would know God's incomparable power in verse 19. You know, few things in my life have um, revealed weaknesses in me, like parenting and mothering has, just to be really honest. I know you don't know me, but... That's just a real honest um, admission to you. I thought that I was going to be super mom, and I had this image in my head of what kind of mom I was going to be, but sometimes instead of sounding like super mom, I sound a lot more like Batman, you know, just like, get in the car. That's kind of how I sound. And it turns out that I'm far less patient than I thought I was going to be as a mom, that that I'm quicker to anger than I ever imagined I could be. I'm not quite as gentle as I imagined I would be. And I'm sharing this with you because I think we all have our own version of this in some way or another. We all have some weaknesses in our lives, every one of us. Things we thought maybe we were going to be great at and instead we're having a tough go of it or we're not handling it quite as well as we thought we would. We all have things that just make us feel like we cannot do it on our own. But you know, we were never supposed to. I think we just forget that sometimes, that we were never supposed to be able to do everything all the time on our own, that we aren't people with superpowers. And what Paul is praying for the church plant here in Ephesus is that they would know God's incomparably great power. It's what he's praying for us as well. We can receive that for ourselves. Um, some of your translations, depending on what translation you have, it, um, this verse might say exceeding power rather than incomparable power. So that word incomparable or exceeding in the Greek is the word hyperbolo. And the reason, I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson, but I do think that this word is important. And, and if you can see it on the screen, phonetically, I think you'll see the two words that have been combined to make this word. It's the word hyper and the word ballo. So the word hyper um, means above and beyond, and the word ballo means to throw. So if you put all of this together in the Greek, this word incomparable or exceeding means this. It means to throw over or beyond. 
Now, I am not a huge sports girl, but I know what a home run is. And this is the imagery that Paul is using here. Of course, you know, it's not literally talking about baseball, but, but I think we get the idea that God didn't just give us a little bit of power or some power. He has given us enough to get a home run. And it's not because he's given us some kind of weird superhuman power, but it's because through him and because we are located in him, we have the power to press on, the power to love, the power to overcome our addictions, the power to to obey, the power to parent and mother. Amen. (laughs) Sometimes I have to remind myself that. Any power that we need, he has got it. And it doesn't come from within us. It comes from within him. He's the one that equips us with what we need. And I just, I I think that we we forget to even just ask him, just go to him. He's our father and he wants to help us to come under us and gird us up. What if we lived like we knew we had access to God's power at all times and in all circumstances? So Paul opened his letter by reminding us of our true location, that we are in Christ. Again, it's going to be all throughout the letter, in Christ. And because we're in Christ, Paul prays that our eyes would be enlightened to know the hope that we have been called to, the riches of our inheritance, and the power we have in Christ. You know, as we close today, I just want to confess to you And I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget all these things. Sometimes I forget where I'm located. I forget that I'm in Christ, that I've been called to hope, that I do have an inheritance, that I do have power in Christ. Sometimes I forget all those things. But again, as I was studying this week and thinking about my daughter and that story, I just was thinking to myself, I don't want to live constantly forgetting. I don't want to be like my six-year-old daughter in the back, not remembering where I am and needing people to, other people to always remind me. I want to remember where I am at all times and in all places, and that is in Christ, in Christ. You and I have a location, and I hope that encourages you today. And so I just want to pray for us all as we close that today the Holy Spirit, just in his goodness, in his kindness, and in his mercy, would enable us to remember. He's so sweet. I pray that he would shift our perspective. And so let me just pray for us this morning as we close. Father, thank you that you have given us everything we need in Christ. And not only have you given us everything we need in Christ, but that you tell us that that is our true location in Christ, in the heavenly places. Thank you for your word. And I pray that today you would, Holy Spirit, remind each one of us, no matter where we are, of our true location. And would you help us even this week to live like it. We invite you to do your work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.